thank you for listening to the weekly message at First Baptist Church in Bushland, Texas. Hey, good to see each of you. Grab your bulletin. We are uh, in a series called In It and Not Of It. And basically, we jumped into that uh, about a month and a half ago, did some intro work for about three weeks, and then last week or two weeks ago, we looked at Moses, last week we looked at Jabez, today we're looking at Esther. Esther is an interesting book, it's 10 chapters, I'm going to try to get them all in in one message, how about that, all right, so y'all got to listen really fast, and I got to preach really fast, all right, so there's a lot in this uh, to unpack, and so on the back of your bulletin is a place for notes, we'll try to... uh, We'll probably unpack some stuff about Esther that you need to know, but it's an interesting story. And basically what we're looking at is how to be in this world, but not of this world. We don't want to be in the world and of the world. We want to be in the world and not of the world. You got to be separate from the world. Jesus says, I put you here for such a time as this, okay? I put you here to be salt and light, but, but you're a believer, a born-again child of God living in this world. This world's fallen, broken and, 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 and in need of a Savior, and you got to live in that. And so how do you not become like the world when you're like Christ, okay? And it's a struggle. I mean, it is, and we'll look at that today, all right? So here's a scripture I want you to write down and just look at. Uh, this is a proverb. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like streams of water anywhere he pleases. That's going to become very important here in just a little bit, okay? So let me set the table uh, with Esther. There's some key people in the book of Esther. Uh, King Xerxes King is the first guy, okay? That messes with me because it's got X's there, and the X's are Z's, okay? So King Xerxes, he's a key person. He's a powerful king. I mean, powerful with a capital P. Okay, because he rules over 127 provinces. Okay, he has a queen named Queen Vashti. Now she's gorgeous, beautiful. She's the queen, and she is uh, she is she is royal in that in those provinces. Now here's the deal with with Vashti: the queen is asked to uh, do some things by the king, and she says, "Not going to happen." And the king's like, excuse me? It's not going to happen. Not doing, I'm, not, I'm not parading in front of people. I'm not putting my beauty on display. I'm not doing any of that. I'm not doing that. And so the king's like, you don't tell me no. So he yanks her, okay, because she's a terrible example for all the other wives. She don't want anybody, any of the other wives, bowing up to their husband and telling them that they're not going to do something. So he saw her as a threat and that she would cause this kind of chaos throughout the the, uh, the uh, countryside. So he yanks her out, all right? So he throws her out. So you have Mordecai. Mordecai is a very important person. Remember Mordecai. He's Esther's cousin. He's the guardian of Esther. Very important guy. Need to know about Mordecai. Next is Haman. Haman's, <laughs> poor Haman. All right, we'll get into Haman just a little bit. Haman is a Malachite. Malachites hate Jews, all right? They hate the Israelites, okay? They hate God's people. You got Esther, she's chosen the queen to take Queen Vesti's place, okay? Now, here's what happens. The king holds this, uh, the best thing you can call this is a beauty pageant party, okay? It's, it's basically a party for 180 days. This goes on. 
It's nothing but food and wine and beautiful girls parading in front of the kings and all the king's men. All right? And the whole thing was that he needed to find another queen, and, 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 and he holds this pageant, basically, in order to do that. Okay, Now, 180 days. I think that's probably long, but that's what he does. He's a king. He can do that if he wants to. Okay, So this is going on. And so in the midst of this, uh, we find Esther, okay? Esther is one of the girls in this parade of girls. Now, all these other girls are doing tanning beds and manicures and pedicures. No, I don't have all that. But they're do- doing all this stuff, and Esther's like, I'm not doing that stuff. I'm not doing this stuff. And so Esther goes out before the king, okay, and Basically, what happens, let's pick up in chapter 2. First thing we see about Esther, we talked last week about the hand of God being God's favor. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4 says that I might win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. God and man. That doesn't mean that men or man, being woman or man, have to be saved. You, You can win favor of lost people as a saved person, okay? And, and we're going to see this transpire here in just a little bit. So, so basically, there's a guy named Haggai. He's the one that's overseeing all these girls that get paraded out before the king, all right? And so Haggai really takes a liking to Esther, basically wins favor. You can say, well, it's because he's beautiful. Well, you can call that what you want to call that, but you're going to see that it's more than beauty, it is the favor of God. So Haggai, in, in chapter 2, verse 9, it says that Haggai really likes uh, Esther or finds favor. Esther finds favor with Haggai. That's very important. We see that first. Okay, secondly, in verse 15 of the same chapter, we see that everyone likes Esther. Esther has favor with everyone. Okay, very important. Then, in verse 17 of the same chapter 2, we see that King Xerxes also likes Esther. Okay? Now, you say, well, the reason that king likes her is because she's a haughty, she's good-looking, she's beautiful. You can call it whatever you want to call it. If that's who she is, that's who she is. But I'm going to say something. It's much deeper than that. Beauty is vain. Okay? Gorgeous girls eventually wrinkle. Just going to tell you, okay? It happens, okay? So this beauty is outwardly to the king, but oh my goodness, there's a beauty in Esther that's much deeper than her skin, okay? And we're going to see this transpire in just a little bit. So, so here's what happens. You got this guy named Haman, okay? Haman, uh, basically, Esther's picked, all uh, right? By the king, she becomes the queen, okay? She becomes a queen, all right? And so then Haman, all right, Haman is put into a place by the king like second in command. He's got more providence, he's got more power than anybody in the land except for the king, okay? Now, he gets told this in chapter 3, and there's a very important thing that happens. He, he's walking, he's walking out of the gate of the king. And there's a couple dudes guarding the entrance over here. And so because he's bestowed this favor by the king on Haman, when he walks out, these two cats right here, they bow down. 
And that's very sweet, isn't it? But then there's another guy. His name is Mordecai. And Mordecai does not bow. He doesn't do squat. He doesn't even really acknowledge Haman's, he doesn't even really acknowledge Haman, okay? And Haman absolutely gets ticked off. He's mad because he didn't bow down and kiss his feet. He gets very upset. And so Haman, in his anger, knows, he, he, he knows that Mordecai is a Jew, okay? And so he, he, he goes to the king and says, hey, king, we need to come up with a decree, okay? We need to come up with a decree to kill all the Jews, kill all the Jews. Now, let me back up just a little bit. And here, here's, here, here's a very important thing that happens that you need to understand that happens. Mordecai, Mordecai overhears these guards make a plot to kill the king, okay? Mordecai overhears this. Mordecai goes to Esther and tells Esther what he overhears. Esther goes to the king, Xerxes, and says, hey, there's a plot out to kill you, okay? So it's recorded in Chronicles. It's recorded in the scrolls of the Chronicles that this has happened, that Mordecai overhears this. Mordecai tells Esther. Esther tells the king. So the plot's it's, 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 it's washed. It doesn't happen, okay? So, so, so that happens. Haman's exalted. Haman comes out, okay? The two guards bow down, and Mordecai doesn't do squat. And this furiates Haman. So Haman decides, wow, I'm about to take out the Jews, okay? I'm not just going to kill Mordecai, the little Jew. I'm going to kill all the Jews. I'm, that's what I'm going to do. So he goes to the king. The, decree, the, the king makes a decree to get a law in place that that would happen. Now, here's a very interesting thing that you need to understand. Mordecai is a Jew. Okay, he is the cousin and the guardian of Esther. What do you think Esther is? She's a Jew. But Mordecai says, don't tell anybody. So she doesn't tell the king this. Why? All right, the king has a decree to kill all the Jews. The queen that just got picked is a Jew. You talking? No, because he could kill you. Okay, and so I want you to go to chapter 4. You know this background. Okay, there's a plot to kill the king. It was intercepted by Mordecai, tells Esther, Esther tells the king, plot's taken care of. Okay, ticks off Haman. Haman understands the fact that Mordecai is a Jew. He says, I'm going to kill Mordecai. Not I'm just going to kill Mordecai. I'm going to kill all Mordecai's people. I'm going to wipe them out. Okay, so this is what Haman wants to do. That's his plot. That's what he wants to do. So that's that decree is set. Okay, it's there. And so Mordecai knows this decree is in place. I, so he says, Esther, you got to tell the king. You got to, you got to, you got to tell the king. You got, you need to. Go, you've got favor with the king. We've got to get this decree overturned. You got to get this thing distinguished. You got to squash it. And 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 Esther's like, I'm a Jew. I'm not talking. He might kill me. All right. And then you got to pick the story up in chapter fourteen. I mean, in chapter four, verse fourteen. Chapter 4, verse 14. For if you, this is Mordecai, remain silent for the Jews 
will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish, okay? So listen, here's what, here's what Mordecai tells her. And who knows, and who knows, but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Mm. You have been found with favor of the Lord. You've been given a position, a royal position for such a time as this. You need to, you need to let that sink really deep in you, okay? In the world, but not of the world, okay? We looked at Moses. We looked at Jabez. There's some similarities. We want to follow these, okay? So watch what Esther does. Esther realizes she can't do this by herself. So she calls on the church. You say, really? Yeah, really. All right. Look at verse 15. Then Esther sent a reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast from me. Do not eat or drink for three days and nights, and my maidens will fast as well. And when this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. If I perish, I perish. It sort of sounds like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, doesn't it? King, I know you could take me out, but if you think I'm going to bow my knee to you, you're crazy. I bow my knee to the one true God. And I know my God can save me, but if my God chooses not to save me, guess what? That's fine. I'm still not bound to need you. Even though the king could take her out, she doesn't care. If I perish, I perish, all right? Now, she does not, as the little church, go into this without the big church. Listen to me. You individually are a little church. He's coming back to get the church, but he's coming back to get all of us the corporate church, all right? So listen to me. You need the church and the church needs you. How many of us face things in our lives and we try to do it by ourselves? That's sad. That's very sad. Why? Why do you do that? You got a church family. You got people that love you. Let them fast with you. Let them pray with you. Why is she doing this? Because she says, I need people praying for me and fasting for me. Why? Because I've been positioned for such a time as this. I've got a request to save my people, but there's a timing thing that must happen. Because if I ask too quick, if I ask too late, they all die, okay? Now, remember, the king does not know she's a Jew. So it's very important that she has an enormous favor with the king. Why is the praying and fasting going on? So the time is right. There's a time, man. There's a place. There's a word. When God gives you a word, gives you a favor, and the timing's right, you've got to give that word. That's what she's asking for, okay? So look, there, it's mo- this transpires in chapter 5. In chapter 5, uh, the, the king can tell that Esther's troubled. And the king says, Esther, what's going on? What's the matter with you? Well, tell, me what, tell me what's on your heart. And I want you to pick up in 5-3. 5-3. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, 
Let the king together with Haman come to a banquet that I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, and it will be granted to you. So they're at this banquet. They're at this this thing that she throws for for the king and for Haman. And she says, and and the king says, tell me what's on your heart. Tell me your reply. Tell me your petition. Tell me your request, okay? And, And she doesn't do it at that moment. That She doesn't do it. Why? Because the timing's not right. She doesn't sense she has the favor yet, okay? So what's interesting is you got Haman, and Haman is... Uh, <laughs> Haman's just pretty pumped up about being there. So I want you to look at verse 17. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me as, with favor and he pleased with, and, and is pleased the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to a banquet that I will prepare for them. And then I will answer the king's question. So, they throw this. The king says, tell me what your petition is. Tell me what your request is. You, you and Haman got to come to a banquet I'm throwing. So they get the, to the banquet. They get to the thing, and, and, and the king says, tell me what your request is. What does she say? I want you to come tomorrow because I'm going to throw another one, and I want you and Haman to come again. Seriously? You, you, you throw a banquet and invite me to come to the banquet just to invite me to another banquet? Now, well, how many of y'all would be on? What is up? That's, that's some strange stuff right there. Now, listen to me. Haman, oh, dude, Haman leaves, and this dude is stoked. He is so excited because he is the man. He is the man. All right? he, he, he is so prideful. It's all about Haman. He loves Haman. He probably goes to Kirkland's every day, gets a bunch of mirrors in his house, looks at Haman all the time. He really likes Haman. Okay, and so Haman is the only one that gets invited. He thinks he's better than anybody else around. And he says, boy, I got invited. Uh, He's very prideful. He likes to talk about himself, all this other stuff. And so he has he has people around him that, that tell him how great he is, how wonderful he is, and what it's like to be Haman and all this other stuff, and pride just wells up in him, just continues to well up in him. And he's angry at Mordecai, remember, but his pride of who he is continues to well up, okay? And what happens is sometimes you can get real prideful because you think you're due something, and you don't get it, and you get angry. And so what happens is we conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world says if you don't get your request, if you don't get your way, you don't get what you want, you don't get noticed, you don't get invited, you don't get elevated to where you need to be, you take all this in your hands and you just manipulate things and you scheme things and you set up stuff to where you're exalted and you're magnified where you think you should be. And so this is what he does. That's just what Haman starts to do. He, Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, mm, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, if you're not careful, even as a born-again child of the king, living in a lost, fallen world, you can conform to the pattern of the world. 
and forget that God has a plan too. You can forget all about it. So here's Haman. Haman thinks he's the greatest thing since sliced bread and peanut butter. And he's just going out doing his thing. And he's got people all around him that tell him how great he is. How great he is. It is dangerous to have people around you that tell you how great you are all the time. Can I just tell you that? I mean, that may be for one person, but I'm going to tell you. If you don't have friends in your life that tell you sometimes you're out of line, you're in trouble. You're not always in line. You're not always right. You need people in your life that you've given permission. Hey, when you see me where I don't need to be, you need to call me on it. You just need to call me on it. All right? Haman has nobody in his life to do that. Haman's not satisfied with his life either. He has all these things, the riches, the world says, the big house, second in command, power, prestige. He's the man, but he's not satisfied. Why? You know what? He will never be satisfied until what happens? Mordecai is dead. That's when he's going to be happy. And so he invites all these, he's got these, these, these posse around him. And they say, what should we do? What, what do I need to do? What, what, what should I do here? And, and, and so we always, people say around him, not be blessed, be thankful, forget about Mordecai, move on, don't worry about all that. You know what they say? You ought to build a big old gallow in your front yard, 75 feet tall, and that's what you can hang Mordecai on. Well, that's just incredibly good advice, isn't it? You know what he does? He constructs a gallow 75 feet tall in his front yard for the sole purpose of hanging Mordecai on it. That's crazy. None of his friends said, that's stupid. No, he does it, okay? And so I want you to see what happens as we keep going. Now, all this goes on. Haman's exalted. He's just praising himself. The gallow's being built. And so while this is all happening in Haman's life, the, the king cannot sleep one night, and he's disturbed. And so his servants, he says, bring me the chronicles. I want to read the chronicles. I want to unscroll the chronicles, and I want to read them. So just happen to unscroll the chronicles. You ever got up in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep, so you start reading the, reading the Bible? So this is what he does. He kind of reads it, all right? So he reads it. And he reads in there a story, real nice story, about a name named Mordecai who intercepts a plot to kill the king, and he goes and tells Esther, and Esther tells the king, and it's, it's credited to Mordecai. He's, he, he, they give him credit for it, but they never honor him. They never honor Mordecai. He saves the king's life, and he never gets honored, never. And so the king's having this dream, and all of a sudden, and here comes Haman. Haman walks in the next morning to the courts of the king. And Xerxes right there, and Haman walks in, and Haman's like, whoo, I am the man, I am the man. He probably strutted in, all this other stuff. Now, get this. This is incredible. Hey, you know why Haman's in the presence of the king at this point? He is only in the presence of the king for one thing, and that is the grant commission permission from the king to hang Mordecai on a 75-foot gallow in his front yard. That's why he's there. That's exactly why he's there. Now, he does not know that the king couldn't sleep at night, that the king unrolled the scrolls. He doesn't know that he's been reading in there about the fact that Mordecai intercepted a plot to kill him. Haman's here only to ask for permission to hang him. So I want you to see some interesting things that start happening here, okay? Look at verse, uh, look at verse 6, I mean chapter 6. So go up to verse 4. The king said... Who is in the court? 
Now Haman had just entered the outer courts of the palace to speak to the king, what I tell you, about hanging Mordecai on gallows that he had made. The attendant answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in here, the king ordered. When Haman enters, the king asks, what should be done for a man that the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, he, he, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered to the king, for the man the king delights and honors, have him bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one of those royal chest plates on his head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to the one the king's most noble princesses. Let the robe the man and the king delights and honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights and honors. And, and then the king says, go once and get it. Haman, oh, bless his heart. Haman exalts himself, goes at, goes at it as the world says go at it. Okay? That's, and he just falls right into it. So he walks into the court. The king says, hey, Haman, what should be done to a man that the king honors and delights in? Oh, he must be talking about, he got to be talking about me. There, who else would he be talking about? I am so good. And he must be talking about me. Oh, get a horse, get a robe, pray him through the streets. People throw flowers, bow down, give homage. This is right up my alley, is Haman's boy. This is all Haman's stuff. Haman's pumped. He got to be talking about me. I know he's talking about me because I am the greatest thing in the whole wide world. All right? And, but here's the deal. He ain't talking about Haman. He's not talking about Haman. <laughs> he's talking about Haman's best friend, Mordecai. I mean, I mean, the guy he loves to eat lunch with. They go to the cowboy games. I mean, this is a great dude. This buddy, man. They dove hunt, deer hunt. They share the same duck blind. It's great, man. I hang out with my buddy. Mordecai is who he's talking about. And Haman has no idea this is going on, okay? So you have the hand of God that is on Esther. Esther's got, now listen to me. These folks are still praying. Did y'all pick up on that? They're fasting and praying. They're still praying. She hasn't asked yet, correct? She's not asked her petition or her request at this point, okay? Hasn't been done, okay? So this goes on. Haman goes and does this, okay? Then they go to the banquet. At this second banquet, uh, at the second banquet, this is when the encounter happens between Esther and the king, okay? I want you to pick up with me in verse 3 of chapter 7. Then Queen Esther, the king says again, what, what can I do for you? What is your request? Just name it. Half a kingdom, I'll give it to you, okay? I'll give it to you. Then Queen Esther answered, if I've been found with favor with you, O king, and if I'm pleased, if it pleases your majesty, grant my life, this is my petition, and spare my people, this is my request. You see what she says? Spare my life and spare my people. Mm. And then she says it. King, ask Queen Esther, okay, who is the one that you're talking about? If you go back up, she says, there's a man that's trying to kill the Jews, 
my people, me and all my people. There's a man trying to do that. And she kind of explains that right here in verse 4. And then in verse 5, the king, Xerxes, says to Queen Esther, who is he? Where is this man who has dared to do such a thing? And watch this. Can't go back now. Esther said, the adversary, the enemy, is this vile man, Haman. Mm. Now, I understand something. At this point, at this point, he does not know, king, does not know she's a Jew. When she gets to this point, there's no going back. Moses said, God, if it pleases you, don't send us up from here without your presence. What's going to distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth unless your presence goes with it? I'll do the very thing you've asked, Moses. Jabez says, enlarge my territory. That you bless me, enlarge my territory. Your hand would be on me. You keep me from evil. God said, I grant your request. Esther says, King, if I found favor with you and you're pleased with me, then save me and my people. Mm, dude, that's some serious stuff, okay? Big time request. And the king says, who is this man that wants to do these things? Now, right there, right row, she's got to come up. She says, Haman is that guy. And the king is furious. He's burning with anger. He is mad as a hornet at this point, okay? Now, watch what happens. He can't decide what to do here. He's mad and he's upset. And in walks one of his servants. And he says, and he overhears the conversation a little bit, and he and recognizes that he's troubled. And he says, King, oh, remember that, that Haman built a gallow in his front yard, 75 feet tall. And the king says, you're right. He sure did. Okay. Now, I want you to look and see what happens here. All right. So the servant comes. Look at seven. Um, it, there's a servant in verse nine. Talks about 75 feet high. Stands Haman's house right in the front yard. He made it for Mordecai who spoke up and helped you. He reminds him again. Hey, in verse 9, of chapter 7, verse 9, he reminds him again. Hey, remember, he built that. Haman built it for Mordecai. He's the one who found the plot, heard the plot, told Esther. He reported back to you. Haman, Haman's the one that's trying to kill Mordecai. Mordecai, king, is the one who saved your life. Look at verse 10. And the king said, hang him. So they hanged Haman on the gallow he had prepared for Mordecai, then the king's fury subsided. What an incredible turn of events in that dude's life. He goes from thinking he is the dude in the robe on the horse to dude on the gallow, 75 feet off the ground. Why? Number one, he's evil, full of sin, an angry and a prideful man who thought it was all about him. He exalted himself and positioned himself in the world's ways. And God is a sovereign God. 
And he will always give favor to those who seek his face. Jeremiah 29, 11 says that God knows the plans he has for us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. Okay? But 12 and 13, we never want to talk about. He says, you will come to me and pray and seek my face. You will come to me and pray and seek my face. You will come to me and pray and seek my face. Let me ask you, did Haman ever come to God and seek his face? No. Did Esther? Oh, my. that's all she did. Not only did she do that, she rallied her people to do that for her as well. If you go on in this 8, 9, and 10, he, 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 he basically takes the ring off Haman's finger that he had given he gives it to Mordecai. Mordecai is the one who's exalted by the king into the place that Haman once had. Rut row, that's bad, right? He's hanging up there with the buzzards, and he gets exalted into the place that Haman was, okay? Then Esther tells the king to change, to write a new decree and take that out because I don't want me to die or you don't want my people to die, okay? And the king rewrites the decree and it goes in order of, of, as law. Listen to me. There's a lot of things that happen here. Esther, Esther has the favor and the hand of God on her, okay? Secondly, you see that she rallies the people around her to pray and fast for the timing, for the right words to say, and for the heart of the king to be receptive of the words that she brings. There's a key ingredient. Because too many times we want to outrun God and do our own thing. Listen to me. There's a time and a place that you make those requests and that you do things. And God is a sovereign God and you can trust his timing. Look at, look at the third thing we see. That she took a risk. Oh, yeah, she took a risk. If you're going to honor God in this world today, you're going to take a risk. If you're not taking a risk and paying a price, they probably don't, the enemy don't know who you, they don't, he, he don't even know you. You're no threat to him. And I want you to see some interesting things. Look at the timing of God. Look at some of the things that, just, that, that had to happen. Mordecai overheard the two officials plotting to kill the king. Mm. Oh, he just happened to be there. Just happened to be there, huh? Haman entered the king's court after the king's restless night of sleep. Now, Haman's probably wanted to come many times before that, but he doesn't come. But he just happens to come the very night that the king can't sleep, that the very night the king reads in the Chronicles that they never honored Mordecai who saved the king's life. You can call that coincidence or karma, whatever, I call that God, I call that a sovereign, holy God that positions his people in places. Esther had a second banquet, which allowed Mordecai to be honored and Haman to be humbled. You say, what's interesting in it is why would a person say, come to my banquet, you come to her banquet, and she says, here's my request, come to my next banquet. Weird, but here's the deal. God's timing that gave time for God to continue to put his people in place. See, she could have jumped the gun and said something at the first banquet. Who's not in place? There's a lot of things not in place. 
There's a lot of things. Theologians have wondered for many years whether if she says something the first banquet, is there even an Esther to throw a second? Interesting. Last thing is this. The king's servant enters with news of the gallow that Haman had built for Mordecai just as the king was determining Haman's fate. He just happens to waltz in and remind the king, hey, king, remember? He built all them big old towers that Haman Mordecai on and put him up there. That's a good idea. Let's put him up there. And they put him up there. Listen to me, church. Here's what I'm trying to say. You got Esther over here. Honors God. Favor of God. Seeks God. Gets people around here to seek God. Okay. Timing. Beautiful. Okay. Protection. Honors God. Doesn't get ahead of God. And you got Haman over here manipulating circumstances, scheming to get his way, elevating himself, all this other stuff. Esther does not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. No, she's transformed by what? The renewing of her minds. Why? Because she wants to test and see God's, God's will is, his perfect and pleasing will. She was tuned in to God's perfect and pleasing will. Here's Haman. Never acknowledges God, jumps ahead of God, does his own thing, exalts himself, conforms to the pattern of the world, tries to make it happen. He made it happen, all right. Everything that he made, he happened on. Listen to me. What does this teach us about in, being in it but not of it? If you're going to be in the world today, you can't be like Haman. Haman's in the world and of the world. We're called to be in the world and not of it. How do you do that? You don't conform to the pattern of that world out there. That may be the way the world does it. That's not the way the child of God does it. you got to determine whether you're a child of God sitting in here and a child of God sitting out there because you can't be one of each. If you're going to be a child of God in here and raise your hand and worship, then when you're out there in the world, you got to be a child of God also. And there's an order that God sets in his word that is still true not only in the church house but out there in the mission field. And you got to sit before the king you got to seek his face. you got to get people to pray around you when you're making decisions, when you're looking for counsel, when you get in the favor of the Lord. And you pray Proverbs 3, 4, and 5 that the favor of God and man would rest on you. And then when God gives you a position for such a time as this, you speak. Some of you, ladies and gentlemen in here, have positions for such a time as this. The question is, what are you doing with that? As we enter a time of invitation, there's a lot to think about. But think about your life does it, does, does the similarities of your life with Haman or is the similarities of your life with Esther? I would rather be Esther, my friend. I don't really want to be Haman. Haman's not in a real good spot at this point. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, thank you for a story like this, God. There's a lot in these ten chapters. But, God, there's a lot you want to say to us as well. We have a choice each day to conform to the pattern of the world like Haman or seek the face of God and wait for you, the sovereign God like Esther. Father, I pray that you and you alone would teach us to wait on God, to walk with you, to trust you, to realize that you have a plan and you're working it and you're a sovereign God that can be trusted. God, during this invitation time, God, I don't know what you have said to your people, but I know you have said a lot to your people. And God, I pray that you will call us 
to obedience, that we would respond to what you have said during this invitation time. For on the other side of obedience is always, always blessing. Just be honored tonight, today, Father, in this time of invitation, Father. May you be exalted and may we obey you. In Christ's name, amen.